This is an ABC podcast. On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Have you been to your mechanic lately only to be told that there is a long wait to have any repairs done? Well, you're not alone because drivers across Victoria are reporting lengthy delays for all different types of mechanical and panel repairs. Mechanics are under the pump with hundreds of cars waiting to be repaired and not enough workers. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning. As always, Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton. Firstly, Nick, thank you so much for the last couple of weeks and filling in over summer. Happy New Year. Oh, happy new year to you, he says, just before February. And uh, no, it was my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> too late for a happy new year? <laughs> Way too late. <laughs> Way too late. So, Nick, one mechanic has been trying to get an apprentice for three years. On top of that, we've got delays with parts coming into the country from overseas. Some repairers, some mechanics are even reporting abuse from customers, from motorists. So you sort of have to look at the big picture here a little bit and think, what's the future of mechanics, given that we are fastly moving into a world of electric vehicles. It's really interesting to see how quickly the change seems to be occurring now. I mean, for decades, a mechanic was you know, a, a skilled profession, but, yeah. you know, a car was a car was a car. There were iterations on what it did, but an ICE, an internal combustion engine, remained an internal combustion engine. And just in the last little while, I think what mechanics need to be working with has exploded exponentially and I can see why it's so complex at the moment. On the same side, I can see why there's the frustrations there. I know my car is due for a service very soon. I'm dreading the wait time of even just getting a service done on it. I'm hearing stories of people saying that, you know, in 45 years of running uh, uh, mechanics, the last 12 months was the busiest they have ever been. Now, that is a wild thing to look at and we do need to know what... Where do we change it? How do we change yeah. it? And, and what what does the future look like? Because once upon a time, I mean, I don't know about you, but as a, as a Gen X, uh, every second mainly bloke that I knew was training to either be a boilermaker or a mechanic. That was just the, the world and the life that I lived. I wonder now who is thinking I'm going to go. I'm going to train in the world of mechanics. And if you want to work with automobiles as such, you train, you're training kind of in electronics you know you're looking at becoming an electrician and then if you're running a a small mechanics especially if you're in a a small country town or a relatively small area how do you bring in other trained people to be able to surface someone that brings in a petrol car and potentially someone that brings in an ev how do you straddle those worlds at the moment with a great deal of difficulty, and, you know, I, I laugh that someone's already texted in to say, um, you, mechanics, you mean electrical engineers these days, surely. Um, it's where it's like. And if you are looking in a, a smaller regional area, what you're trying to do right now, I guess, is bank on the future. You're saying, well, I need someone who can deal with the, you know, the petrol cars, the diesel cars that are coming in, but I also need someone mm-hmm. who can stick around and be there for when we do see the growth of hybrids, the growth of EVs, and they will be coming, you know, just we have to just acknowledge that they are on the way. 
it's very hard right now, I imagine, to hire for someone 10 years down the track. And not only are they on the way, I mean, we are seeing record rates of electric vehicles being purchased once they Absolutely. were out of reach for the majority of people. But they are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. I think there's a range coming through now that is going to be around the fifteen, seventeen thousand wow. $17,000 mark. Wow. New. That's just around the corner. So it is going to change the landscape of the type of cars that we drive very quickly. We haven't even seen the second-hand market of EVs really flourish yet. So if you are a mechanic, and we kind of use that term <laughs> really loosely now, like what does it even mean? What does the future of your business look like? But if you're also trying to get your petrol car fixed at the moment, What's the wait time like? You know, maybe you're struggling to get it repaired, or maybe if you're in the game, you're struggling to find workers. On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you as we look at the future of mechanics as we go into the world of EVs. A few people kind of taking aim at me around the idea that I said blokes that I grew up with. Now, I said that deliberately because at the time in the 80s, it was predominantly young men that became mechanics. That is changing been changing slowly. The world of EVs, and there is some kind of discussion around the fact that hopefully more women will go into the world of electronics when it comes to fixing cars. But the stereotype has kind of been true for a very long time, but that potentially will change as what we view a mechanic will change. Well, I hope so. And also, just in general, as we view what are traditional roles, I mean, they are the idea that a mechanic is a man, a tradie is a man, I mean, that is slowly entering its dust phase and being left behind. I'm very glad to see it go, to be perfectly honest. Steve Groschel is the manager of J&F Motors in Richmond. And I know, Steve, we spoke about this issue around a year ago with you as you were looking at trying to straddle those two worlds between petrol mechanics and EV mechanics. What's trade like for you at the moment? Uh, yes, hi, Rochelle. Um, look, we've, if anything, since the last time we spoke a year ago, we've just experienced a um, phenomenal increase in in, uh, in bookings, in uh, trade coming through the door to the point now where, um, you know, in, in over two decades, I've not seen wait times increase to where we're at at the moment, which is which is near on a minimum four to five weeks ahead, um, which makes things very difficult for both the, the customers and ourselves trying to get through that uh, that huge backlog of work. But uh, Steve, do yeah. you have the staffing to take care of it? I mean, a young sort of, I, I don't know, applicants knocking on the door saying, I'm keen to pick this up as a trade? Um, look, I'd love to say yes, but unfortunately, no. We've um, we, we've seen a oh, we've, we've been down at least one mechanic over the last two to three years. We've been actively trying to search for qualified mechanics um, to join our our business um, with not a lot of success. We've uh, employed or gone through the the means of trying to employ trainees and uh, overseas skilled workers to try and uh, get through and fill the gaps um, with mixed success, but. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the, the days of people knocking on your door as mechanics wow. seem to have been well gone. How does that impact you? I mean, when you look at the future of your business and when you are running your own business, you might look at who you pass it down to. Do you sell it one day? How does it then change the landscape of, say, the next 10 years for you and your business? 
Yeah, look, it's a genuine concern for, for all businesses. Um, our particular business is, uh, I'm a, um, a second generation family member. My father has owned the business for a number of years. He's uh, now semi-retired and I've taken over. But uh, look, moving forward, um, that is a, a definite concern. Um, there's just a, a lack of younger people coming into the trade. Um, my son being one of them, he's obviously uh, still at the age of 14. He hasn't decided what he's going to do. But uh, I must say there's there's far less of a uh, interest nowadays than what there was 15, 20 years ago. And did you actually expect or hope that he would take over the family business? And do you think now that that's maybe not a possibility? Oh, look, not particularly. Um, it was not. It was something that was never forced upon myself. Um, I actually chose a different industry and went to university and uh, came in as a mature age apprentice into this business. So, um, look, it's something that I chose to do later in life, and I saw the um, the attraction of this particular industry and the business. And I must say, it's it's been a great decision from my point of view. And uh, look, moving forward with my son, I'll give him the opportunity to choose to do what he would like to do. There's no pressure. But um, yeah, look, hopefully, I'd like to say he does see that there's a, a definite um, benefit in being in this industry. Steve, we'll come back in just a second because uh, we've got Pam on the line. Pam's actually on the road. And, and Pam, your daughter was a mechanic. My daughter, yeah. Sorry, yes, my daughter actually is a mechanic, and she uh, probably for nearly 20 years now. And um, a few years ago, she chose to go into the world of. Um, she's actually uh, now training vet and vcal students uh, in automotive studies, and uh, she's. I was asking her just the other day about the very topic, and she was saying that the trouble is now that they have to know so much about so many different areas it's not just the old days where you you know fixed a car mm. and then they get um yeah money's not great and then they are um basically abused by the public because of <laughs> how much it costs to get your car fixed yeah. so it's not overly attractive anymore to um, do this. Although she's got lots of kids who are very keen and want to do it, but the reality doesn't always um, uh, sort of live up to to um, what they think it's going to be like. So, is she um, considering been, leaving? The oh gig? no, no, because she's te- no, no, she's teaching it. Why she's teaching is because she's got um, two young kids, and of course, you know, the hours are run. Better doing they're just now doing like school college hours rather than the mechanics hours, which are you know again for a female it's not that great. If you've got young kids, you've got to get to school and all the rest of it. So, um, but no, I mean she loves it. She's a great job and she's um, been working for a lot of years doing it. Mm. But it's just um, you know she says that now because everybody has to know so much about so much is a is a changed profession now than it used or trade than it used to be. So, I think that might be um, a bit of the problem. And Pam, on that change, does does she see more women coming through while she's training people? No, no, no. She's got some girls in her classes, so she's doing year 10, 11, 12 vet and vcal. So um, they do have. She does have some girls in her classes, but they're mainly mainly boys or young guys who want yeah. to do this. And I said to her because she's doing some training at the moment, and I said to her there are many female and you know instructors, mechanics, and she's going, no, nah, I'm the only one. Wow. I wonder how we can change that. I mean, that's something 
that, that, that would have a huge impact. You know, we're talking about, and Steve, this is something, you know, you've been trying to get workers from anywhere. You know, you're even waiting on visas and people coming from overseas. It must be frustrating when there's got 50% of the population, maybe it isn't being promoted to them as an industry. Does any of what Pam said, just said then, Steve, resonate with you? Oh, look, it does. Um, I, I think, uh, as Pam was mentioning, there's um, a, a definite misconception in uh, the public's mind and um, in regards, especially to, to gender misconception. Um, you know, there's always been that uh, that that old uh, image of, of a mechanic being a hard working, dirty hands, all that sort of thing. Um, and, and that's something that we need to change um, just so that people yeah. do understand the current uh, technicians and the current roles that they play and that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an industry that's definitely open to, to you know, all genders. Steve, while we're talking about misconception, a couple of people have texted in saying, look, you know, electric cars, at least when you compare them to traditional combustion engines, they're basically maintenance-free. Surely that can't be entirely accurate. Um, look, that's definitely not accurate. From our experience and uh, seeing these vehicles now increasingly come into the workshop, uh, they are definitely not free of maintenance. Um, they do require constant servicing and checking, safety inspections and so on. There's a lot of moving parts very similar to a normal internal combustion engine. So um, that misconception is, uh, is definitely that. It, there is going to be a lot of service and repairs required. And just finally, because you're probably busy and got cars that you need to fix, Steve. <laughs> there's, quite, there's quite a few texts that say, you know, oh, simply just take on an apprentice, mate, says Greg. And another saying, the problem is, and correct me if I'm incorrect, that a first-year apprentice gets less than $15 an hour. And that's a question from Peter. And I know Nick and I have done actually plenty of conversations around us, how we view apprenticeships and the pay that's mm. almost just not a living wage when it comes to apprenticeships. So many people are just choosing not to do it. Is that a part of the problem? Look, it, it definitely is part of the problem. Um, there's a number of problems. And there's a number of reasons why apprentices, in my mind, aren't coming into the industry. Um, pay is definitely one of them. Um, the other thing that we're finding with apprentices too is, is retention. Uh, obviously, it's a three or four year apprenticeship, depending on how quickly you can get through it. But um, we're finding that, at, I believe statistics say, at least 50% drop out within their first year. Now, yeah. that's, that's um, huge. it's hard enough wow. getting them through the door, but um, you know, even retaining these apprentices is very difficult. I think that's yeah. across the board with a lot of apprenticeships. The, the, the dropout is about half. That's mm. really confronting, isn't it? I mean, that's sort of the writing is on the wall there in terms of, of what needs to change. Steve, we wish you know you and your son and, and your business all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Steve Groeschel is the manager of JNF Motors in Richmond. Plenty of texts on this. Nick Healy, my son has been a mechanic for 20 years. He's leaving the profession. The main reason is poor pay, says Kev. And another, throw this into the mix. EVs don't need as much maintenance, so mechanics time will be freed up, says Marie in Newport. That's a bit of a myth, though, as we just heard from Steve, that idea that if you have an electric vehicle, it doesn't need any maintenance. It's different maintenance. And just while we're talking about the, the gender disparity, my daughter started as an apprentice, says this texter, loved cars, worked for a brother, but male apprentices can just be horrible to that lonely girl in the group. And I'm hoping that more women getting into it would change that. Rods, he's the manager of Altitunes Australia and has been listening and has given us a call. You never know who's listening. Welcome, Rod. <laughs> 
Uh, good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon, Michelle. How are you? Really well. What's your take on this? Are you struggling to get workers? Are you struggling to get people's cars fixed in a in a speedy time? Oh, look, the issue is, um, you know, the AAA, which is the professional body for the industry, is predicted that by 2030, this um, this coming decade, <coughs> we'll have a shortage of about 30,000 mechanics across the country. Uh, which means about one and a half people per mechanical repair store across the country won't have um, workers. So Ultratune has got on the front foot and uh, we've actually started to bring in um, workers from overseas. Uh, How simple is that though? We're hearing long waits for visas, all sorts of things. Oh, look, Ultratune Australia is an accredited sponsor. Um, So we've um, start to finish and this is one of the roles that i've taken on within the organization um for a 482 visa we can get someone pretty much in the country within about four weeks these days from application to arrival do you pay them the same amount you would pay a, a local apprentice or mechanic absolutely look um the as of Jan, uh, july 1st last year federal government um put a, um, a law in place where we couldn't pay um, below a certain amount. Um, so, And that is actually well above the award rate. Um, so the, most of the mechanics we have bought in from, or all the mechanics we have bought in from overseas are paid above, well above award wages. Rod, really appreciate you calling in with that insight. It's interesting to see the lengths you're going to to make that happen. Brett from Robinvale online as well. Um, Brett, of course, we're talking cars. We're talking uh, predominantly, you know, that difference between petrol engines and EVs. Uh, you're in a regional area. You kind of throw ag machinery into the mix and it gets even Ooh, more complex. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what you need for uh, uh, universities up here. To, to bring the weed in, you can't just employ someone from another country that's got no idea of a $1.2 million uh, machinery and they get it bogged. You've got to have local people that need educated in the country uh, to bring your, yeah. bread, bring your bread to the cities, your vegetables. We grow almonds, uh, macadamias. Uh, um, we send out 2 million carrots a week from here. I wonder too, there's a text here from Chris and it says it's because the schools no longer teach auto or you know, and automotive. So Oh, it's a little bit more technical than that. Yeah, you, you need mm. specialists. You, know, you need electrical engineers for some of these equipment. Oh. It's not, not just a mechanic. It, it, you know, if we want to go green, you know, we've got to start training the younger people that leave the leave the regional areas for the city, uh, to be trained in the in the country actually on the ground. You know, uh, and it'll keep the people more, you know, like um, it, it, in the regional areas, mm. and uh, you know, and certainly Absolutely. need something. Yeah, with the they tr- need to with work the, with, the, and, yeah, with the diesel trucks. You know, um, they, they're going to be you know self-driven uh, electric vehicles that uh, you know it's, it's just not going to happen in the city. You can't drive five hundred kilometres to the city to get your truck fixed. You know, you need that. I oh, know. And Brett, you might like. I mean, the idea of looking mm. at. The world of ag and the right to repair and some of the patents that are put on to repairs and parts. There is a whole other program in terms of looking at being able to fix or repair agricultural equipment in particular. You know, as Brett just said, those big, you know, some of them are multi-million dollar pieces of equipment that are vital to farming that you can't just go and fix yourself. You can't even call a local mechanic because you need to have that particular repairer come on board.
You absolutely can't. But, you know, as Brett was saying towards the end there, we are seeing the uptake of certain electric vehicles within farming contexts, whether that is as simple as a drone that's being used to, to survey or to, or to look out over crops and um, uh, stock, or whether that is an electric um, uh, quad bike, things like that. It is getting more complex around ag machinery as well. It can get um, it, it gets into the mix and it just adds a little bit of fresh on to everything. Maria's called from Whittlesea. Morning. Oh, hello. Um, yeah, we have a tractor dealership in Whittlesea and we've really struggled to get mechanics um, over the last 18 months. And I've actually considered doing my small engine um, apprenticeship and wow. I'm actually a nurse by trade. So, so did you say a tractor mechanics? You specialise in tractors? Yeah, tractors and lawnmowers, um, small engines. Um, we do everything from snow cones to Mack trucks. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, like it's just become so difficult to find mechanics that I've just thought that I'm just going to apply to do the apprenticeship myself. Um, I'm a nurse, as I said, and I just thought, well, surely. Just do it myself. They won't be as complex as um, (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, I'm just going to give it a crack and see how I go. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Maria, just really quickly, um, because I'm really interested in talking about this, but um, I don't want to sidetrack us. When you say you can't get a mechanic, the wrong people applying or no one applying? Um, it's just really hard to find experienced a diesel mechanic. So um, we have advertised a couple of times through the usual means online. Um, but, yeah, it's just really hard to find um, skilled uh, mechanics that are, are sort of experienced and working on sort of agricultural machinery. Um, Why is that, do you think, Maria? Do you think people are worried that there's no future in this industry now? Does it almost, it almost feels like it needs a, a rebranding. The industry needs an advertising campaign or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is a fascinating industry to be in and there's so much scope to work on so many different types of machinery. But, um, but yeah, I think maybe it just needs a bit of a um, revamp or something just to sort of highlight um, what a great um, profession it is and um, we'll continue to sort of um, put our name out there and try and find somebody but um, or find more mechanics. But it's, it's certainly been a real struggle for us. I'm going to pop you back on hold, Maria, just in case. Yep. Look, you never know. We could hook you up with a, a local worker. <laughs> <That'd be great>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you what, stranger things have happened. I've had people listen to this show and go buy pubs, right? So yeah. all sorts of things happen. So yeah. we wish you all the Maybe best. Maybe I can stick to my day job then and not have to do my <laughs> Stick to <laughs> so, yeah. keeping people healthy, yeah. saving lives rather than fixing tractors. We're going to pop you back yeah. on hold, Maria. Okay. Thank you. This, my 17-year-old son, started his diesel mechanic apprenticeship yesterday and that's from it says there a very proud dad good morning Rochelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you as we look at the future of mechanics maybe you are a mechanic you're struggling to get workers or apprentices or you're struggling to get your car fixed or you've been told that there will be a huge wait list we've got a full board of calls we're going to try and get to all of them in just a moment but next Stuart Charity is the CEO of the Australian Automotive Aftermarket Stuart, we spoke around a year ago about this very issue that maybe people weren't seeing a future in the world of mechanics. Are you feeling better or worse 12 months down the track about this issue? Uh, hi, Rochelle. Uh, worse, I think, and, and uh, some of the calls that you've had on have, have really reiterated that. Uh, the, the situation's just, just getting worse. Um, we've got more cars on the road than we had um, 12 months ago. Um, nothing's changed in 
in terms of the numbers coming into the industry. So the, the issue is just, just um, uh, getting worse and worse. Where's the initial fix, Stuart? Like, where do we actually begin to start targeting this and, and get more people into the industry? Yeah, look, as uh, I think Rod from Ultratune said, um, the, the only real short-term fix to get um, qualified technicians is to uh, get skilled migration. And we actually lost a lot of skilled migrants uh, over the pandemic years because uh, the borders were closed and they were sent home. So that, that mm. also exacerbated it. So we, we need the government to, to really um, prioritise automotive and, and streamline uh, and lower the cost and time uh, to bring skilled migrants in. But that's a, um, that's a short-term Fix. Uh, is it that simple though? Is it as simple as skilled migration and making that no. process easier? Because I've lost track of the amount of techs that are coming in and saying the wages are just too low. People don't want to become, don't want to go into this industry because apprenticeship wages are too low and the wage of an actual qualified mechanic is too low. I left the trade in 1983, says this. Um, it just doesn't, we just don't get advocated for that, says Andrew and Ballarat. Is it more about making it more attractive for the local workforce? Absolutely. Uh, that, uh, getting skilled migrants is a short-term uh, fix. Longer term, we, we, we have to make the, the trade more attractive for people. Uh, we need to get a realistic and a, and a more contemporary uh, view of what automotive um, technicians, and, and we use that term now, uh, what what uh, a, a career uh, entails. And, and it's it's high technology. It's um, the opportunity to, to run your own business. Um, you know, most of the businesses in the industry are, are small family-owned businesses like Steve Grossel's. Uh, so, um, and we're working on, on high technology. We've got electric vehicles coming in. We've got uh, very technically complex vehicles and, and we need different skill sets uh, going forward. So it, it is a great industry. We do need to address um, the, the, the pay issue though. Uh, that means that workshops you know, need to charge for, for the skill sets and the services they offer and, and the good ones do and, and, and people are happy to pay uh, a fair amount to, to, to get those skill sets and, and, and know that, you know, have the confidence mm. to know that the, the technician that's working on their vehicle is, is highly qualified. Are we a bit outdated even using the term mechanics now? Because I've noticed everyone that we've spoken to refers to a mechanic as a technician. Is yeah, well, I think that the sort of outdated view is that yeah. you know, you know, working, and it used to be, you know, working on the mechanical systems, very um, you know, low-skilled, uh, um, dirty sort of work. And, and um, the, the reality now is that the, you know, you're sitting in the passenger seat uh, with, a, with a scan tool or a laptop uh, plugged into the vehicle. Uh, mm. they're, they're doing programming. They're doing uh, fault-finding and, and so on. They're still tyre-changing and and oil and, and uh, filter changes and so on, but it is a it, the the profession has 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 moved dramatically. So we you know, we talk about skilled technicians, and it is a, a really skilled trade. Stuart, just hold the line for a second. John in Baywater has called in, and John, a bit more investment in tech schools could make a difference. Yes. Um, uh, morning, everyone. I went through the, the um, secondary part of um, education in a technical college, technical school. Um, and that was back in the 80s, mm. and um, I think it's just in Victoria, it might be all across Australia, um, the technical schools um, were closed down, properties were sold off in our um, homes. So what that brought me was that um, from an early age, learning technical things, whether it was electronics, basic electronics, yeah. um, mechanical engineering workshop practices would work, that kind of thing, it gave you the, the tactile skills and yeah. understanding how things build, work and operate. 
And that mindset is developed from a young age. I think, John, I've lost track of the amount of times we've done programs like this and people are like, well, it's because of the demise of tech schools to the point, if you go back through the conversation, our podcasting feed, <laughs> there is an incredible show that we did on tech schools and the impact, the long-term impact that it has had uh, on our industry and on our economy and on our education. So you raise a really good point. We're going to actually be speaking a little later uh, to the Bendigo TAFE, which is the Kankin Institute, which has sort of been the replacement for TAFE, but there's a lot of debate around whether or not that's enough and whether or not that's training people up. Stuart, when we spoke to Maria before, who was in Whittlesea, who's actually going to have to go and learn how to fix tractors herself in order to keep her business running, how do we change the perception and how do we convince people that there is a future and an industry in the world of technicians when it comes to the cars that we drive? Yeah, I think that the, you know, it's incumbent on the industry to um, uh, put out a, a more contemporary view of, of, of what's involved. And there is a, a myth going around that, that EVs will be the death of, of automotive repair and service. That is absolutely a myth. Um, it's going to make them more interesting in terms of more mm. more diagnostics and and so on. So, um, you know, and, and yeah, we do need to, to uh, um, I guess, push out that message to, to workshops that they do need to, you know, to, to charge for their services appropriately and, and, um, and lift the, the wages uh, over all of the industry so that we can uh, attract and retain uh, talent. Um, the, the, the issue around uh, technical schools is, is real. Um, that's affecting all trades. Um, and you know, parents and uh, career advisors are pushing kids into uh, university degrees, whether they like it or not, and, and, and whether they, you know, a lot of kids um, like cars, they're, they're very good with their hands and that sort of thing. They're probably more suited to a, um, a, yeah. a trade, uh, but they're being pushed into, into university degrees. Stuart, that's really interesting that it's not just pay, but also highlighting that this can be a a really vibrant, really fun gig to have. I mean, that matters a lot to people getting into early career, that they're going to be engaged, they're going to be interested, they're going to have a good time. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I think the, the future of uh, automotive service and repair is is really exciting. The, the technology, I mean, there's... You know, there's uh, there's more lines of code on a on a um, <laughs> an average vehicle these days than there was you know, on an airline, you know, an airliner or, or or the space shuttle. So, uh, you know, these are really technically complex um, vehicles that we're working on today, and, and and the future is exciting. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it, Stuart. Thank you, Stuart Charity, the CEO of the Australian Automotive Aftermarket. A lot of what, if you're going to read the room here, Nick Healy, from the texts <laughs> that we're getting. It comes down to pay. Yep. It, it, like this is just one of the texts. My son recently completed his auto mechanic apprenticeship and his full sign off from the TAFE he attended, but his employee won't sign it off as they don't want to increase his pay. He earns $11 an hour after tax. Why would anyone sign up to work so hard for four years and then be treated like that? And that's just one of the texts that comes around pay. Now, they're saying the average pay for someone at Toyota, I can't fact check this, but it says it's around $50,000 a year. What apprentice would sign up to that? What, what would? I mean, we need to understand that people have a right to get a living wage on this as well. But I think culturally, we've hit a point a long time ago and we're, we're st struggling to get out of it that we devalue certain roles and uh, mechanic has been one of them. We don't give it the respect or the value it deserves in, in, in Australia. Chris is in Rosanna. Good morning. 
Good morning. What did you want to we, say? Our family mechanic was pushed out of the business as other associated car, car repair works were because big business tied their cars and their insurance to going through their product. And that's what closed a lot of them down. A lot of really good experienced people, workers in the fields, just lost their businesses. And a lot of it's due to big business and the threats. So you mean sort of as opposed to being able to be an independent mechanic, then you would go to the brand associated with your car, for example, the dealership? Yep. And if you went back to the dealership in it for anything else and you weren't on their list for your your servicing being done, well, they were very pretty rude to you too. And wow. that idea of making it hard for, for people to go to someone independent, whether it be access to parts, all sorts of things. Yes. Mm. Okay. Thank Good you. on you. Good to hear from you, Chris. That's a part of this as well, potentially, Nick, that, you know, maybe if you are a small independent mechanics, that it gets harder and harder to be able to service a different range of cars. Let's have a chat to Liz. Liz is in Maryborough. Morning, Liz. Uh, good morning. How are you going? Really well. What do you want to say? Um, so I'm actually a vet, but it's, I'm just pulling over, sorry. Um, I found it really interesting looking at comparisons between my profession and the mechanics professions and that shortage of labour, poor pay standards, like the awards useless in that industry is um, what I'm hearing. It's the same in, with mechanics as well. And like what you said about a kid earning $11 an hour and not mm. getting signed off, like that's just really poor. Um, so I think that like a lot of that, there's so many interesting things there to compare it to. And like they spoke, you spoke about trying to get more women into the industry and you look at the vet industry now, it's 80% women. And then you've got the associated issues that not all those are working full time. A lot of them have to be part-time because they're also the main child carer or providing yeah. care for the family. So there's so many issues with that. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's lots of comparisons between it. And I think a lot of it will have to come back to rebranding, as you said, improving the pay conditions for it. And then that comes down to people's expectations of what they have to pay to receive the service. And then oh. when they get, like, negative responses, then it impacts so much on the people providing it. I was going to ask, Liz, if you see that kind of shock when people or your know, customers saying, hey, 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 it can't be that much. Um, a lot of the time. I mean, there's, I think there's been a lot more sort of education coming into it with the vet industry that the vet is expensive. Well, it is, but to provide the service that they expect, that they want, like they want human standard service for their animals, they've got to be willing to pay for it, but then Medicare hides the yeah. true cost of human health care. And then so, you add the um, yeah geography to it as well, like we heard from our previous caller from Whittlesea in all different areas. And I know that, Liz, you're in Maryborough. You add regional areas and trying mm. to get workers to regional areas and all of the complexities that come in with that. You can see why this is such a big issue, Nick Healy, and why people are now waiting a really long time to get their car fixed and why some mechanics have been trying for years to be able to get apprentices. So what is the future of being an automotive technician? I've changed my terminology. Do you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour.
on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton as we look at the future of mechanics. Who's going to fix your car? How will your car be fixed? And as we transition to more and more electric vehicles, are people putting up their hands and wanting to train in the industry? And you know what I think is a part of it, Nick? Mm-hmm. It, you sort of touched on this before where you said this could be a really exciting career, it could be something that is long-term. I don't even know if the average person, myself included, knows what the future of, say, an EV technician, what does that even look like, right? What sort of job is that? What What do you do? What is the future of that? And maybe that's a part of the problem. Look, some of it's daunting, but I just think if you are coming out of school or looking for a career change, I mean, we should be highlighting how exciting this is across the board, even in traditional motor mechanics. So, you know, I live in Shepparton. We've got a big car culture here, and I've met more than a few people doing custom work really excited about it across the board. They have a lot of fun working on the vehicles that come into their um uh, what did we decide it was called? Shop, store, uh, garage? <laughs> Automotive technician workshop. <laughs> There's lots of different ones. Jeff Gwillem is the CEO of the Automotive Chamber of Commerce. Is this a global issue, Jeff, or is this something that is unique to Victoria? I mean, it took Australia a long time, for example, to take up EVs more so than other parts of the world. Where do we sit globally in terms of the future of being able to get our car fixed? Um, well, uh, it is a big problem, and the automotive industry, we've got to remember every year more cars go on the road in just about every country in the world. So we've got a growing vehicle fleet, which means you need more technicians for that fleet. Um, one of the challenges, not just in Australia, um, but in most uh, modern economies, is that we sort of started to have a conversation about 20 years ago about being a clever country and sending everybody to university, and that's what we did. And what we've got now is we've got armies of kids going to university, half of them end up making, uh, you know, uh, cappuccinos, and they shouldn't have been there in the first place. They should have gone into a trade, they should be in a technical trade, they should be maybe carpentry, doesn't matter what it is, but, you know, we are partly to blame here because we've been, we've convinced ourselves and every kid, if you don't go to university, you're not really smart. Well, yeah, what future have you got? And yet... You know, automotive, you know, I, I did an automotive trade when I left school in the UK and automotive trades take you around the world. You know, once you've got a, an apprenticeship qualification in a trade, you can go to any country in the world and they will understand what that apprenticeship qualification means. And it means you can do something, you can make practical application of technology um, and you can, you know, work wherever you like. And the, the other point that was raised earlier about $11 an hour, well, that that needs a bit of observation because the fourth-year rates um, are double that um, for uh, fourth-year apprentices. And once you go out into the industry after your apprenticeship, really, if you're a really good technician, even in Shepparton, you can earn very good money. I've got lots of members. One of my board members is in Shepparton. We work, <laughs> work with the Shepparton Museum, the Car Museum, with Jim and the team in there. Um, really good technicians uh, do get paid well, and uh, you know it's a, it's a great career. Even you know you, you, the point you made about electric vehicles, um, you know, as as we transition into electric vehicle technology, they're great careers. There's still a lot of mechanical stuff, you know, brake, mm. underbody, mm. suspension, um, and a whole lot of diagnostic work that goes with that. Which I'm hoping 
will attract more women into the industry because there's less time under the car and more time in the cabin looking at the computer. It, Jeff, before we talk, because I do want to talk about more women in the industry and whether we're seeing any changes internationally on that, uh, you know, it's great. Fourth-year um, mechanic, fourth-year apprentice, they're starting to get more pay. But we, we heard earlier that the dropout is significant 50%. before people get there, 50% there. So, I mean, are we paying too little at the start to keep people interested? No. no. So um, university dropout rates for first-year students is about the same. And 50% of apprenticeship non-completions has been there for decades. In we, we, we run our own group apprenticeship scheme at the VACC. We've got 540 apprentices. We can get a 90% retention rate. So it depends how you do it. Um, but one of the things, one of the big challenges, and I'm really you know, glad you raised the question, is that if we don't have people in schools advising on what these yeah. trades look like and how they're applied, young kids are coming out and they're going into jobs that they should never have gone to in the first place. So far more work in schools. And we've asked the government... That's a whole other issue, though. I'm, again, I will push people back to the Conversation Hour podcast because <laughs> <laughs> careers advice is an entire show oh, that we it's did. Massive. It's and massive. And it yeah. it's something that's lost within... How many oh. schools have actually got a career advisor anymore that's not also yeah, the PE teacher and the science teacher and the home ex teacher, yeah. even if that's a thing mm. anymore. But... Career advice yeah. is a huge part of that's been lost within the schooling yeah. system. As to why, who knows? But I wonder if whether even if there were was career advice, whether people would be advising young people to go into the world of automotive technicians because they don't even really know what the future holds for it. They don't, and uh, and Rochelle, this is why our position to government has been consistently have people from industry talking to young people in schools and universities about jobs. I mean, the poor old careers advisor, you're right, you know, the, they get they get posters and CDs and all sorts of stuff sent to them. They've got rooms full of it, okay? They're trying to work their way across about 5,000 occupations. They haven't got a hope in hell. What you need is people from... Now, I employ two people full-time to talk to kids in schools, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. You need people from across a whole range of occupations and So you and employ people to go around and promote it as an industry? I do. So I've got a whole <laughs> army of people because we run a group apprenticeship scheme with our own apprentices. I've got two full-time staff. They work in schools. They start kids off on school-based apprenticeships and then we bring them through into our group apprenticeship scheme and they, we locate them in our member workshops and we've got workshops in Shepherd and with uh, group apprentices up there as well. Can I just ask you one final question, Jeff, because we've still got callers and guests we want to get sure. to, but there's a text yeah. here from Mary and it says, would my teenage daughter be safe in an apprenticeship environment in this world? Absolutely. And and, and I'm, it's a good question. Um, 20 years ago, automotive was a completely different environment. Today, the, the, the rules and regulations around what happens in a workplace are significant. And I'd encourage any young lady to go into uh, go and have a look at a workshop. Don't forget, kids interview employers nowadays. We don't interview them. Um, go and have a look at the workshop. Maybe work there for a day or two, get a feel for it, make sure it's an environment they want to work in. But um, it's a great, uh, you know... For women to come into this industry, I would argue, have got great advantages because there's not very many of them and they often do very well, but we need them to stick it out and stay in the industry.
Jeff Gwillem, thank you so much. Jeff's the CEO of the Automotive Chamber of Commerce. And just while we're talking about getting people younger, excited for this, a texter saying, can you really expect 18-year-olds to know what they want to do with the rest of their lives. We certainly don't feel like we trust them with much else as a society. And this iDriver Tesla needed a tyre rotation, booked it on an app service. It came in to me less than $100, came in a couple of days, van fully loaded with gear and tyres to do anything with wheels and brakes. So when we talk about the changing world of being able to get a car serviced, someone rocks up to your door and does it for you. Maybe you've struggled to get your car fixed, you're struggling to get mechanics, or are you now? Maybe even after this program, starting to think that this might be a world that you'd like to work in. This is where the conversation begins. ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you as we talk the future of mechanics. Ingrid's in Blackburn. Good morning. Good morning. How are you going? Really well. What did you want to say? Um, So I have a university degree and couldn't get a job in my field. I mean, yeah. But both of my sons are tradies. Um, the eldest one's finished his mechanics, uh, so oh. he's, he's a fully-fledged one. Um, he's gone to live up in the Hunter Valley because uh, the, there was a caller before talking about um, agricultural machinery. He's going to do stuff in the mines. So he's going into ah. hydraulics and diesels and all that sort of stuff. He's as happy as a pig in mud. Uh, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> thank um, you for keeping it on the PG level with that phrase. I appreciate it, Ingrid. Thank you. But no, he just just loves it, and and he he wouldn't have he wouldn't have. Uh, I mean, he's got the brains to do university, but that's not for him. It's just not for him. The younger son's doing. Um, uh, he's, he's a Sparky apprentice, and maybe the brothers can work together once the EVs and stuff <laughs> happen. They can. Um, they can set up shop together. And in terms uh, of being able to fix agricultural equipment and large machinery, there's you know, ag equipment yeah. and then there's mining <laughs> equipment. That's yeah, wild. You're not getting under the bonnet of that baby, are you, and trying to fix those things? Well, lots of discussion today around where you train, how you train, the demise of tech schools and the role that TAFEs play. Gavin Cribb is the Education Manager at Kangan Institute. Gavin... What kind of numbers of people are you seeing that want to become automotive technicians? It's, um, you know, we've seen a, a trend probably most like since COVID really over the last sort of three years of, of an increase sort of year on year. So, you know, as, as sort of um, we're, we're privileged to be Australia's largest provider in auto training, we're seeing an increase around 15 and, and we have close to, you know, 5,000 automotive apprentices um, at the Automotive Centre of Excellence. That's a lot, and it's great to hear that you're getting a boost on that, Gavin. Uh, just to go back to a bit of a theme of today, what's the gender split like in people coming through? It's um, it, it, it's um, it's disappointing. Is really the answer. You know, we're seeing um, the the percentage sort of bounce around between sort of three and eight percent. Um, we're seeing high percentage representation of females in um, painting, in particular, so in automotive painting and refinishing. The traditional mechanical trades are still around sort of the uh, the three to four percent, which um, you know we're working with industry partners, we're working with um, you know various schools and so on to try and uh, attract um, you know uh, you know both genders into the industry because it is getting cleaner. You know we're lucky, um, we're proud to be appointing our first heavy vehicle female teacher um, partway through this year, so we're doing everything we can to sort of you know to move that dial back up. 
Gavin, in terms of change as well, a couple of times today it's come up that people drop out of these apprenticeships, uh, 50% kind of don't go through. Are we seeing some ways to change that when it comes to that education side of it? I wish there was a silver bullet. It's a great question and there's a number of factors, you know, and I I sort of heard Jeff touching on, um, you know, some of the... The, the pipelines we're getting from school, uh, from schools, so some of the uh, the candidates may not be suitable for you know to trades in general. So they're, they're getting more and more technical. Um, it's uh, it sometimes it's the personality clash with a particular apprentice and their employee, and rather than sort of you know looking for potentially another employer, they sort of just wipe their hands with the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's logistics that plays into that one as well. So mm-hmm. you know if you're for an hour and a bit from work, you know that can pose problems, especially if there's public transport and our logistics that you have to manage in that piece as well. So there's a lot of different factors that, that make that a, um, a particularly good journey. And, you know, TAFE employer and, and the apprentice themselves all have equal parts to play in that. Are you seeing a shift in what's being promoted within the school sector? We spoke about career advisors before and a career advisor has sent us a message saying, I'm a secondary career advisor. We don't advise uni over apprenticeships. Parents are pay aware and status aware. They want their kids to have security, some level of autonomy and power in a career. That incomplete final year apprenticeship example highlights a perception that the employer can be too powerful in this training model. I mean, where do parents and where the idea of what they want their child to go on to do, is that something that comes up in conversation? It does. And, you know, some of it's anecdotal, but, you know, a lot of it is, you know, the old pub test, if you like, you know. So um, trades have sort of always sort of been perceived as a lower, um, I guess, bar in terms of some sort of university um, positions and so on. So, we, you know, we're trying to move away from that, you know, stigma if you like and Jeff you know touched on it before the industry is getting really clean it's getting very technical um, you know technicians do need a laptop to you know to look at a vehicle and to diagnose so the um, the, the perception from parents is is slowly turning um, we, we're, we're promoting open days to try and allow parents to just come in and work walk through our workshops so they can see that it is clean they can see that it doesn't smell they they can see there's a lot of technology in it in the old you know, term grease monkey, which we all hate very mm. much, is um, is something it's we're changing. trying to um, to leave behind. Yeah. Gavin, thanks for your time. Gavin Cribb is the education manager at Kangan Institute. Let's have a quick chat with Peter. Peter's in. Where are you in Delahay? Morning, Delahaye. Peter. Good morning. What did you want to well, say? Afternoon, soon. And it is almost afternoon, a couple of minutes away from midday. What did you want to say, Peter? Well, just to add to the whole conversation I've been listening to, I had done my apprenticeship back, started back in 1964. Uh, I'm 77 years of age now, so I went through the whole industrial revolution of the motor car. And I've seen a lot of changes, obviously. Mm. And I've got my own business since 1982, so that's now over 40 years old. And my son is from that, and it's just a small family business. Um, it's just a matter of keeping up with the, with the change in technology, obviously. Is I that easier said whole... than done, Peter, to keep up with the change? Is this just the next industrial revolution, so to speak? The electric cars? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But it's not, it's not so surprising, like everybody seems to think. Um, technology, electronics technology has come into the automotive industry back in the 80s already. I mean, Mm. aeroplanes had ABS brakes back in the 30s, you know, type of thing. 
so the, a lot of development was just gradually in, introduced into into the automotive industry. I went to a Porsche museum in Germany, and they had an electric motor sitting there, which was probably the size of a tractor wheel, but it was an electric yeah. motor. You know, so it, it shouldn't be surprising. Technology, if you keep up with it as you go through your opportunities, yeah. and I went to school. I always went to school throughout my whole life. Oh, that's good to hear, Peter. And it's good to hear, too, that that's something that's continued on. I think a lot of people within the industry are trying to straddle those two worlds. It's just, is that easier said than done? Nick Healy, as always, thank you. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Till then, take care.